Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back to the finals edition of the Corner Kick podcast. I am joined as usual by Caleb Rhodes. Hello. And Nathan Strauss. Good evening. Gentlemen, we just finished watching Sevilla hoist their sixth Europa League crown. They once again drank from the chalice that is the former UEFA Cup Europa League. So we're going to talk about that game later down the line, our impressions of Inter Milan, who were obviously the favorites coming into that one, but Sevilla pull it out of the fire once again. Has to be said, it was an incredibly entertaining match, but I think the game that is on everyone's minds this Sunday, it is a mouth-watering Champions League final clash in Lisbon between Bayern Munich and PSG. Obviously, their roads to the final were Bayern Munich beating Lyon 3-0, a game Lyon team who had sprung upsets in the previous two rounds, but unfortunately they succumbed to their errors against a ruthless Bayern Munich and PSG beating RB Leipzig 3-0 as well. So two 3-0 results, but Caleb, what are you anticipating both tactically and narrative-wise about, this is has to be said, this is a massive clash between two juggernauts coming into this one. Yeah, I think this is one of the most compelling Champions League finals we've seen in a while. For PSG, this is going to be their best ever chance to win a Champions League and justify their project in the eyes of the world. For Bayern, they are ready to try to sort of take the mantle that's been left a little open with the decline of Madrid and Barcelona and Liverpool this year sort of not being able to assert themselves as the dominant team in Europe. Things I am most looking forward to, I think this game really hinges on whether Neymar has his finishing boots on. I think in both the quarters and the semis, we saw a Neymar that was showing all of his you know, pace and trickery and tight control and dribbling, but who just could not for the life of him find the back of the net. Against RB Leipzig, he had an assist, but he also hit the post twice. He is their talisman. He is also one of the players on this team that has experience in a Champions League final. I think Di Maria might be the only other player in the squad who has played in a Champions League final before. And so they're going to rely on him. And if he can't turn these near misses into goals, I think it's going to be all Bayern. Going off of that, a really compelling matchup to look out for is how the wingers match up with the fullbacks. And I have to say, I think the advantage has to go to Bayern here. When you look at how Gnabry is likely to be going up against Juan Bernat and Perisic is going to be going up against Tilo Kerr, that seems like a pretty big mismatch to me, especially on that right-hand flank. And when you think about the fact that Bayern are also able to push up Alfonso Davies to overload that left side, it could be really, really dangerous um, and valuable for Bayern, especially um, in possession. However, on the other hand, I don't think Alfonso Davies has has had to deal with a player like Neymar yet. And obviously, they've been playing Neymar basically as like a a free-roaming striker. And so I do think that, Caleb, you're right in that if Neymar is clinical, this game could very easily go the way of the Parisians. But I think that just looking at the matchups on the the flanks, 
Bayern have a pretty severe advantage. Caleb, thinking about the tactics coming into this game, Barcelona obviously tried to exploit Bayern's almost obnoxious high line (laughs) in the first 10 minutes of what ended up being a disastrous game, which we've talked about extensively on this podcast. But Messi and Semedo were both able to get past the high line, I'd say, in the first 10 minutes quite successfully. Leon did the same. Depay had a very good chance to put Leon ahead in the opening couple minutes of that match. Tokowakambi the same. Bayern almost, it, it seems to me that they have enough swagger to say, hey, like we're going to play this high line. It's about whether or not you as the opposition can meet us in our like hubris almost. Like they have such confidence in their abilities in defending we know that Neuer at the age of 34 is still capable of putting together incredible performances in the net so do you think PSG are going to be able to meet Bayern halfway in terms of taking advantage of that high line that they play yeah I think the Bayern defense is a really interesting question because even though Barcelona obviously got shellacked and we've talked about this a lot End of the day, they still conceded twice, two open play goals, one a sloppy, not more than sloppy, a, a wondrous own goal from David Alva, and then Suarez, you know, just being able to cut in and shoot. They also got, as you mentioned, exposed by Leon several times who just couldn't quite finish. I think when you look at PSG's front line and Mbappe, who might be the fastest player sort of at the elite level of world soccer other than Alfonso Davies, Neymar, who's quite pacey himself, and then Di Maria, who is still fast. That's a much, much speedier front line and more talented front line than either Barcelona's or Leon's, I would say. At the same time, I think Bayern can change up their defense a little bit. Like Kimmich, who's been excellent offensively from right back, could slide back into midfield. And they could put Pavard in, who I think is a bigger player, a stronger player. Um, Boateng has been average. But Sula is back, so they could put Sula in. So Bayern have options defensively, but I think they're probably just going to stay with the team that they've had so far. This Bayern defense can be exploited, and if there was a team that could do it, it is PSG. Nathan, Thomas Tuchel is someone who knows Bayern Munich in the way that they tick somewhat from his time at Borussia Dortmund and Mainz in the Bundesliga. What do you think he'll have in store for trying to contain players like Thomas Muller and those explosive wingers, Gnabry especially, who is now, especially as an Arsenal fan, I want to hear your take on Gnabry, considering that he's totally eclipsed the potential that people saw in him from his time in Arsenal and West Brom. West Brom, where he was jettisoned aside by Tony Pulis quite incredibly. He still wouldn't make the team. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a shame that he ended up going on loan there, and it's a shame that that really stalled his his Arsenal career. And he's a great player, don't get me wrong. Um, I'm very happy to see him succeed. On the other hand, I, I, it's hard to fault Arsenal for making the decision that they did at the time. I think in hindsight, that decision looks a lot worse. But he definitely presents a serious threat because of his pace, because of his world-class finishing ability. The opening goal against Lyon, I thought, was one of his, his best ever goals and just a brilliant strike, uh, sort of Aryan Robin-esque. I personally think that actually both coaches are going to name unchanged squads, uh, just mm-hmm. like Caleb said. I don't see any reason to tinker with what's been working so far, or at least for what worked last game for PSG. They also just don't have the options in the middle of the park to make, you know, any substantive changes. Marco Verratti is not fully fit, and I don't see any reason why they would replace Idrissa Ganagay or Ander Herrera. 
So I do think that they're going to name an unchanged starting 11. I think that the team that's most likely to make a tactical adjustment is, is Bayern. Yes, they are capable of playing with that high line. And they did so to perfect. Well, they got a little bit lucky, but they, they had that system drilled so well. I wonder if they're actually going to sit back a little bit more, knowing that it's a final, knowing that the stakes are higher. And frankly, knowing that the front three or front four of PSG are just more clinical than Memphis Depay and, and Carl Toko Akambi. So you, so you don't think they're going to bring Verratti in for Paredes? I think generally when teams in the Champions League final start a player who's been injured, the optics can be very, very poor. Like I think particularly... It almost, about, it almost never works. Right. Like I think about Diego Costa against Real Madrid. Harry Kane and last Harry season. Kane, exactly. I mean, even now when you have five substitutes allowed, you still only have three distinct moments in a game in which you can make those changes. And I think that having those subs in reserve are going to be much more important. Yeah, I think the question is, when Verratti came on against RB Leipzig, he looked, his range of passing and his quality on the ball was far beyond anything that PSG had in the midfield prior to that point. Caleb, we know that PSG are going to need an answer to Thiago and Goretzka, the phenomenal range that they've displayed all tournament long. So I guess the question is whether or not you want to displace a workhorse like Paredes who's good box to box for a player like Verratti who we know has immense passing quality but maybe the player that you want in there is a bit more of a dog oh I think I just think Paredes is honestly very average if if you want to put Bayern on the back foot more you need someone in center midfield who has a range of passing that can match a Tiago a Kimmich and Herrera Marquinhos are not that person And so I personally, I think, would start Verratti if he's fit because I think you want to unsettle the Bayern defense and force them to sort of retreat a little more. And I think if that's the tactical change, I think Bayern will only kind of back off if there's someone in midfield who can kind of do the same thing that they do to teams like Barcelona and Leon, throw balls over the top for Mbappe to run onto. I personally would bring Verratti on, but I understand, you know, not changing the system. Do you guys, do we know if Keeler Navas is going to be fit for this game or are they going to go with Sergio Rico again? That's a big question. Well, let's see. Let's see what the, let's see what the local news says. PSG confident Keeler Navas will start Champions League final, according to the news when I type in Keeler Navas into (laughs) Google. (laughs) Okay, so maybe Keeler Navas starts. I think that's definitely a plus for PSG. I think with a goalkeeper like Neuer, PSC would be remiss not to have a quality goalkeeper in their net. I'm not saying Sergio Rico isn't a talented player, but he's certainly not the player that comes to my mind when I think Champions League final. Yeah, what keeper do you think of? I think of Loris Karius. I was about to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think, Nathan, you brought up an interesting point a few minutes ago about Bayern not changing their tactics to fit PSG, but PSG fitting their tactics around Bayern. I think maybe with a manager like Tuchel, he's a bit more comfortable and more confident in making those adjustments for Bayern. But we've seen that teams that who do adjust for Bayern often get thumped. So they've beaten teams like Barcelona who've tried to adjust to meet Bayern head-on, but they've also beaten teams like Lyon who haven't adjusted. Can Tuchel make any actual adjustments that are going to be able to halt Bayern in their tracks here? Well, I think that's sort of one of the nice things about Bayern, too, is I I actually I do think that they are going to make adjustments. I think they're going to be a little bit more conservative because for a club like Bayern, I don't think aesthetics are necessarily more important than the end result, which is not always the case with 
certain teams from around the world. I think that Bayern are going to play with a deeper line, and I think Bayern are going to comfortably win this game. And I frankly, I think that if you're a, a soccer fan, if you're a fan of the global game, you have to be rooting for Bayern. Um, even though both of these clubs are big spenders, one of them has done it organically, the other one has been purchased by an, a Gulf state. Uh, and that's sort of a interesting subplot to follow, following the sort of money-laden uh, semifinal matchups that we discussed last week. Yeah, I think we know that Bayern are the epitome of building up your reputation in football over the course of many years. They do so through a lot of shrewd moves in the transfer market, a lot of homegrown players as well. I think the valuation of their team going up against Barcelona was under 100 million. I think it was around 94 million uh, euros. And we know this PSG team has been quite expensively assembled. Caleb, I know people, the people who will want PSG to win the Champions League are fans of Neymar, potentially one of the most popular players in the world. What does this Champions League mean for Neymar? Does it mean that he's finally going to be able to come out of the shadow of MSN, of Barcelona, establish himself as his own man on the global stage? But also, equally, what does this say about him and the PSG project if they can't get it done? I mean, it's, it's, it's terribly important for Neymar, right? Because he hasn't been around for the end of their first two seasons he's been with them because he's injured because of his sister's birthday every oh. year. Don't know what happens <laughs> there, but it's, it's crazy. But I, I think, you know, the way we can think about this is this game matters a lot more to PSG than it does to Bayern. Bayern lose this game and they probably make the final again next year because they've added Sané and their team is not going to be appreciably different other than Thiago leaving maybe, but they've also shown this year that they can win without Thiago and, you know, they haven't lost in 2020. PSG, meanwhile, Neymar needs to win this game to justify finishing out his career in Paris, which he clearly enjoys. And if he loses this game, then he's probably going to just, like, in order to save face, have to, like, move somewhere else. Mbappe's probably going to want to move on. I mean, like, if PSG lose this game the team's going to kind of implode, I think. And I think that's another reason why I really want Bayern to win is because I think that they are a more honest team. I think they are more true to what soccer is. And I think there's just sort of more sort of delicious gossip and rumor mill stories that come out if uh, Neymar and company sort of screw the pooch and, and lose. Yeah, I think it might be difficult to move Neymar and Mbappe on in the near future just because of COVID and the finances regarding the pandemic. But I think, Nathan, this is their best chance, as we've already talked about a couple of times, to win a Champions League. And if if they can't get it done against, in their perspective, it's probably unfortunate that they're coming up against a super hot team in Bayern right now. But if they can't get it done, I think eyes have to be cast on the long-term future of the PSG project. Yeah, I think if they lose, Tuchel's going to get sacked. I don't know if there have been rumors of that or not, but I my guess is that they would... He's been on the hot seat recently, and I think his relationship with PSG's sporting director right. is less than ideal. Right. They would sack him, and then they would appoint Pochettino. Or someone else. Or we someone. don't know. That's just, We just made that up. I don't yeah. want that to be clear. <laughs> but I think it's pretty clear that Mbappe's long-term futures at Real Madrid, if Neymar also decides to force a move, there could be really severe consequences. Because then what you're left with is a group of young, inexperienced academy players like Colin Dogba or Luke Mbasso, an out-of-contract Thiago Silva. 
you have literally four midfielders on the roster right now and under Herrera, Verratti, Paredes, and Andres Gay. You've lost Cavani for free. You have an expensive and temperamental Icardi. You still have Hesse on your books. Like, oh my God. I mean, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous how poorly composed this squad is when you take out uh, i'd say fragilely composed it's yeah i would say last year very poorly composed because they had like one midfielder this year they're just kind of they don't have a lot of depth beyond (laughs) star players we we talked uh we talked off the pod about how their signings haven't exactly been data driven so to speak and under unai emery we pointed to the signing of yuri Berchich. Um, from Athletic Bilbao as an example of this. No, they've been very stopgap signings right. to kind of fill voids in positions where they might need a competent player to come in there and do a job for them. Not even in the Champions League per se, just to kind of fill fill that spot in Liga. I would very much enjoy seeing an implosion of the PSG project. Um, and I think Is there a, <laughs> this is harsh. No, I think it would be good for, it's be good for the game of soccer. It would be good for Liga especially when you have teams like Lyon and Marseille that could, in theory, pose a challenge to a domestic title. Um, yes. So we know that Zubi Zaretta, the former Barcelona director, is rebuilding Marseille slowly but surely right now. And Lyon certainly looked like a team that can always pose a threat to PSG with their, their academy that just keeps bringing through these amazing youth players year in, year out. This season, we've seen the rise of Kakare. And they have players, young players like Guimarães as well. I mean, I think the concern is, is that like if PSG actually imploded, then Ligue would literally just become a farmer's league like the Eredivisie almost just because there'd be no money and the players would always get bought when they're 23. Exactly. I think they're already a selling league. So the the concern would be if there's no global power. Is there like a long term future for like the competitiveness and the I guess any like actual viewership of Liga, any actual interest in the in the division? Liga un Uber Eats. Yes. <laughs> in short, I mean like not in short. I guess this is like in summation, maybe this is a small battle for the future of Liga in, in, in some ways. But I don't think it actually solves the problem. Like, if PSG win this, nobody's like, oh, that Liga, that's that's a real tough, challenging league right there. It does. It, it doesn't solve any of Ligue problems. It just justifies the PSG project, which was always geared towards the Champions League and not Ligue because it doesn't require the amount of money they've spent to win Ligue It doesn't require buying Neymar. It doesn't require buying Mbappe. We shall see. Lads, give me your score prediction for this game. Nathan Strauss, PSG, Bayern. Bayern, 4-2, PSG. I'm going, I'm going 3-2 with Bayern winning. I'm going 3-1 Bayern Munich. Damn, okay. (laughs) Bayern better win. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to look real bad (laughs) in about three days. In 72 hours, this will be (laughs) one of the worst episodes we've ever recorded. (laughs) (laughs) This will have aged so poorly. Lads, let's move our discussion on to the Europa League final, which took place today. We just finished witnessing Sevilla lift the trophy for a sixth time against favorites Inter Milan. Caleb, this is an extremely entertaining game. Sevilla, this is their tournament. This is practically the Sevilla Invitational. Uh, They've won this trophy three times in a row, 2014, 2015, 2016, and now they've come back around and won it in 2020. 
this team, they don't have those flashy football manager exports that we've come to know from Sevilla in recent years because the recruitment has been so good. This is a very much more of a domestic Spanish, French, Iberian looking side than in years past. But the man that we should be discussing is Luke de Jong, someone who is much maligned coming into the semifinals and the final of this tournament and his three goals have been the catalyst for Sevilla's sixth Europa League crown. You're our La Liga resident expert. Talk to me about Sevilla. Talk to me about them winning this trophy for what feels like the infinite amount of time. You can never count Sevilla out in these tournaments. I think, again, we've seen that they shrewdly put together really good squads that people just don't rate enough. And we have to remember, they did this today with like Lucas Acampos not being fully fit with Diego Carlos giving up his third penalty in a row in a Europa League game, each game, the penalty coming sooner and sooner today in the fourth minute. But if you look at the stats, I mean, Sevilla outshot Inter Milan. Sevilla, you know, had roughly equal possession. And really, at the end of the day, in a game that was decided by a lot of sort of dead ball situations, penalties and free kicks, they put Luke de Jong in the position to succeed, which is he's tall and he can head the ball, right? And, you know, his career has been very odd because he started in the Eredivisie where he was prolific and then he went to Mönchengladbach, you know, a few years ago and was just a total flop. And then he went back to the Eredivisie where he was prolific again at Sevilla where heading into the semifinal hadn't scored for 11 games in a row, but then scored the winner just a few days ago and then with a brace today. This team just gets it done. This is their elixir of life. We talked about this off the pod. Sevilla are to the Europa League what Madrid are to the Champions League. And they really, in a lot of ways, are the highest achieving Spanish team this year. And so hats off to them. I enjoy watching them and supporting them. At the same time, Inter Milan really did not create very much all day. And I think they're like, whatever, their quadruple sub of former Premier League players came a little too late. But I'm very happy with this result. It was a wonderful game. I had a lot of fun watching it. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I think this was one of the most entertaining finals that I can remember watching pretty much from start to finish. The first half flew by. I mean, it was, yes, there were a lot of goals scored from set pieces, but it was an incredibly open game. Uh, I thought that, you know, we know Sevilla lined up in a 4-4-2, but Ever Banega was dropping back to basically be a third center back at times. So it was really a battle of two um, highly intelligent tactical systems, of course, going up against the 3-5-2 of Antonio Conte and Inter. Uh, I definitely thought that once Inter got that first goal, that they were sort of going to just coast to victory. But again, Luke de Jong, I... I watched him a lot when he was at PSV and it seemed like he was only capable of scoring headers. But today we saw just how versatile his heading ability truly is. That second headed goal where he was able to just loop it up and over Handanovic and sort of spin it into the far top corner was fantastic. And then Sevilla just with enough extra quality to force the issue and of course get that game winning goal that somewhat cruelly deflected off of Lukaku's foot into the back of the net. Definitely agree with you, Caleb, that this is a joyous Sevilla team. I have to think that Sevilla are one of the few clubs that are genuinely capable of rehabilitating flops from elsewhere. I mean, you look at Suso, I would say it's safe. I think it's safe to say that he flopped at Milan. Even guys like Munir, who might not have been able to reach the heights that they were once uh, vaunted to, 
at Barcelona. I mean, it's hard not to root for Sevilla in a game like today. Um, and you may, it definitely makes me think that they're a team that could, with a few key additions, um, be poised to retain next year, if not go further in the Champions League. I think it's important to talk about their opponents today, Inter Milan. We know that Antonio Conte is at odds with the Inter president and the board. He feels like they haven't come out and defended him as much in the media and perhaps in the transfer market as he's wanted them to. There are questions surrounding his future. Today, he wasn't able to get it done in a final that I think really would have solidified his future with Inter. But I now, now I think there's going to be questions about whether or not this team is going to be coached by him going forward. We know that they're bringing in several high-profile additions this summer. It looks like Sandro Tonali, the heir to Pirlo's throne in the Italian midfield, coming out of the same academy that Pirlo came out of at Brescia, is going to be moving to Milan, as well as Akraf Hakimi the fullback from Real Madrid. So we know this Inter team is going to get better on the pitch, but what is the future of Antonio Conte after the result of this game? Yeah, this is interesting. So as much as I as much as I'm very happy that Sevilla won, I also am worried that this result might cause tension between Conte and the board, tension between Conte and the players that will hurt what I think should be a very, very promising Serie A campaign this upcoming year and, and a team that I hope and really believe could, if they sort of gel and are at their best, could win Serie A because I think Juventus are very clearly on the downswing. I think what this game showed to me, I don't think Bastoni is fully ready to take up a starting position I think it was probably an error to leave Milan Skriniar on the bench unless he was injured and I could have that wrong. No, Conte doesn't trust Skriniar in the back three. That's the right. issue. But Skriniar is just very good. Like, incredibly good. It's like that discussion that we had about Pep and Eric Garcia. You have to start the experienced right. players in these games that require immense experience. Right. And then second, what they lacked today in the fact that they only produced nine shots at all, one of their goals was a penalty and the other was like a set piece play. They lacked a midfielder that could really create good chances. And they have one. They have one. His name is Christian Eriksen. But Conte, after starting him the first few games when he came to Syria, doesn't seem to trust the 3-5-2 with Christian Eriksen as a cam and prefers having three like normal center midfielders there. But I think that they need to find a way to work Eriksen into this team more centrally because they need to be able to produce chances in big games like this for Lukaku and for Martinez that just weren't happening today. And bringing him on the 77th minute is not sufficient when you're chasing a team that is very comfortable. So... Those are some of the big decisions, I think, with his current personnel he has to do going forward. I mean, I almost wonder if one of the reasons that they don't, that Conte doesn't select Ericsson to play as a cam in this 3-5-2 is because he doesn't think that there is a capable enough defensive midfielder to provide that cover. I mean, I wasn't terribly impressed with Gagliardini. I thought Brozovic looked good, Barella looked good, but I, I, I think that if Inter are able to get a better defensive midfielder to play, in that spot, then Ericsson is, would be able to come in in that center, center mid position and have a little bit more license to roam without needing the protection of the of the two deeper lying players. You know, Conte's teams live and die by the wingbacks. And while Ashley Young had a few good moments this game, neither Young nor uh, D'Ambrosio were particularly standout today. Uh, Even though Ashley Young 
to his credit, has been phenomenal. Yes. Since arriving in in January. Yes. Ashley Young has experienced the Conte renaissance that so many sort of disused wide players do. Um, so I do think that, you know, with a couple key signings, this inter team could very well be poised to take over the mantle of Serie A next year. But that sort of depends on Conte getting some sort of buying into Inter and Inter buying into Conte in return. So I guess the question is, if you are the Inter president, let's say, you know, Caleb Rhodes, Nathan, you were in charge of Inter, you know, you were making all these big decisions. Are you just going to hand over the keys of the kingdom to Conte entirely? Yes. You're not going to try and resist his whims in any way. Is this a case of you just give him everything that he needs yes. to succeed? Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, he, he has done an amazing job with this team. This is Lukaku's, I think, first time ever going above 30 goals, which is like a huge barrier for a top striker to meet and surpass. He tied Ronaldo yeah. in his debut season exactly. with Inter. So he has given Lukaku confidence. He has unearthed and helped Lautaro Martinez develop. He has turned this outfit into a winning team that will be objectively better next year. Like, here's the thing. Conte does great with really mediocre players as wide backs, but Hakimi is actually pretty much world-class at that position. So just imagine what he can do. Imagine what an Inter will be like when they have a player kind of like, I mean, not totally the same as Mykon, but of someone like of similar quality again, roaming those flanks. I think it's huge. Um, and I think that you can't get on his case for losing this game because this game is just an added benefit. No one actually cares about the Europa League besides Sevilla, honestly. Right? <laughs> like, this is, just, this is just true. <laughs> and Jose, and Jose Mourinho. Mourinho. But yeah. no one else cares. The real focus here is Serie A. That is what they're gunning for. And they should not let this game distract from the progress they've made towards their actual goal. Lads, there's one more person I want to discuss following this game, and that man is Ever Benega, who his immense quality was on show throughout the entirety of this Europa League restart. His stats in this game were absolutely ridiculous, and he dictated the play for the Spanish side. And I think he scored the greatest goal of the match post-game when he trolled Conte by saying, let's see if that wig is real, to which Conte responded, I'll see you after the game. So there's a potential UFC fisticuff style match <laughs> coming up between these two before Benega goes to secure the bag in Saudi Arabia. But uh, lads, sing a swan song for this great midfielder before he leaves to go play in the Middle East. Here's a swan song for Ever Benega. He's a good, tidy midfield player who was never good enough to make it at a bigger team and then found a home at Sevilla for three years and was very good. Okay, uh, well, that's not the kind of swan song right, that I wanted. This Caleb, disrespectful. You are fake news. Let me give you, <laughs> let me give you a song. Avery Venega, had he not let his car run over him, uh, <laughs> yep. and had he taken the game 5% more seriously, would be remembered as one of, you know, a very quality midfielder from this last generation of players. He, I think if he had just been slightly more serious, could have been huge for the Argentinian national team. He is criminally underrated. And he does have that, I think, South American kind of fire to him that just plays so well. Like what he did with that, you know, banter with 
Conte is the equivalent of what Vidal did before the Bayern game, except this time it worked out. And so I respect him for, you know, showing up. And I think that is really what he does. And I think he has been an excellent servant of Valencia for many years and also Sevilla for many years. And I certainly will miss him because he is a great character and a great midfielder. And you know what? Go make your money in Saudi Arabia. Not a country I would go to um, or profit from personally. But, you know, do your thing. You have been a wonderful servant of La Liga and these clubs. Well, that has been the Europa League final for 2020. Congratulations to Sevilla. Lads, there's one last story that we wanted to touch on before we left today. Our boy, Harry Maguire. Oh boy, <laughs> I'll tell you that. The, <laughs> the Manchester United captain has been detained in Greece following an assault on a Greek police officer. Nathan, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to interject my thoughts on this at the end because certainly my views come from a place of bias being a Liverpool fan. But but take it away. What's going on with our, our guy, big-headed Harry Maguire? This is like the weirdest story that could possibly have come out of this week. Uh, Harry Maguire vacationing, as many Englishmen do, on Mykonos following the conclusion of United's season last week. Uh, I wake up this morning to a flurry of alerts saying that he has not only been arrested and detained, but will now be spending a second night in Greek prison after being arrested for punching a police officer and swearing at him while running away. First of all, props to the Greek, defense, <laughs> the Greek police for chasing him and uh, catching him, but it couldn't have been that hard. We know he uh, turns slower than a can of milk. But just a crazy, irresponsible storyline for someone who already has a bit of personal drama you know, United fans were already upset that he was given the captain's armband um, after less than a season. And now, you know, you have, you know, one of the world's most expensive center backs who was pretty underwhelming all season long, getting himself arrested in the offseason in a foreign country. Just a terrible look all in all for uh, the slab head himself. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know what else to say. He's about so this. Like, unlikable. There's literally like no redeeming factors for him. This is a defender who in invented the no-look defense this past week against Sevilla when he just had no idea when the ball was coming in. And the worst part is he doesn't like spinach or feta, so I'm not sure what he's going to be doing in Greek prison with that. Dude, he's, he's not endearing himself to the soccer world at all. <laughs> one, of the, one of the top Twitter replies to the news story that broke was, quote, Greece should just keep him and sell him back to United for $40 million. It would be good for their economy. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. Listen, Harry Maguire is football or soccer's answer to Solomon Grundy. United fans, like, this is your king. Like, this is your captain. Congratulations. Like, he's going to be rotting in a Greek prison cell tonight. And that makes me very happy as I'm going to be dozing off to sleep for Harry Maguire. He's had, a, he's had a tumultuous year. I think there's a lot of conflict when it comes to Harry Maguire just because he's such an expensive asset for Manchester United and not only that as Nathan said he was made the captain of the squad so there's a lot of responsibility being thrown at him very quickly at one of the teams with the greatest visibility in the world and this is not what you want to see you know this is to me someone who isn't capable of leading this Manchester United team going forward so I think his captaincy will have to be evaluated Following this incident, you don't want your captain 
spending his nights in Greek jail. Uh, I think that's a pretty reasonable thing to want if you're Manchester United. This story is, it's you know, it gives a Liverpool fan just a bit of schadenfreude uh, as we await the Community Shield coming up uh, in the following or the next week. So, you know, we'll see if, if Maguire <laughs> posts bail in time to begin Manchester United's preseason commitments. Uh, I mean, I hope he stays safe. I don't want anything bad to happen to him. But this is just kind of a, a silly story that is that didn't need to happen if you're a Manchester United fan, if you're Harry Maguire. So. That is definitely an interesting story. And I think that just about wraps it up for today. Make sure to tune into the Champions League final this Sunday. I know we will. On CBS All Access. Or uh, what's the Spanish language channel? Univision. Univision. I've been watching a lot of Univision recently because I don't have I CBS know. All Dude, Access. Univision have broken the... So the Barcelona-Bayern game broke the... I think it was the Champions League viewing record in the United States on Univision. Something like up to upwards of 2 million people were tuned into that game. Univision putting in some work, unfortunately, at the hands of FC Barcelona. Okay. Let's just end the podcast, Nick. <laughs> All right. Well, that has been our show. We hope you enjoy the Champions League final wherever you will be watching. We will be coming to you with the podcast following the results of that match, whether it's the Bavarians and Bayern Munich rampaging towards what seems like an inevitable Champions League trophy or whether or not Neymar and PSG can spring the upsets on this very well-drilled Bayern side. But that has been our show. I've been Nick Vinden. I'm Caleb Ritz. Nathan Strauss. And we will see you all next time. Happy Champions League.